morning, morning. I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome to Kessid. Uh, we're just a church trying to figure it out, and uh, we are, uh, we are we're doing something. Something's happening, because uh, you guys keep showing up, so thank you so much. Thanks for giving church a shot. I know for some of you, uh, this has been a, an awkward experience, and uh, I hope today will be no different. So uh, welcome. Uh, we're in a series right now called Forts, and uh, we're, it's church-wide, so we're doing it in our children, we're doing it in our youth and young adults, and of course we're doing it here on the weekend. And we're talking about uh, the importance of having healthy relationships, specifically uh, around this idea of re- when you were a child that you would build forts like with your friends and with your community, and, and then you, you, know, you learn to play and all other kinds of things that happened around forts. And so that's what the series is about. Uh, a couple things. Uh, we, uh, we asked people to build uh, blanket forts with their communities. Uh, some people build, you know, actual like forts out of, out of, you know, logs and other such things. But this week is primarily all blanket forts. They're all just a little bit different. So I want to go through these for you. This is Linda, Julie, and Carol's blanket fort. So uh, they, they have full power in their blanket fort. So that's exciting. Uh, this is from our Columbia cap, uh, caption. I don't, how many people think this should qualify as a fort? I just want to know. I, I feel like it's a blanket over a swing set, but I, I could be wrong. But I really like it, and it's probably one of the larger uh, forts that we have. So uh, a lot of people fitting in that one. Uh, this is Jeanette, and she says, I mentioned to two of our grandkids the fort series and what it was about. They had the idea to use granddad's ladder and the blankets so we could have our coffee, hot chocolate, before taking them to school. So Hadley is 11 and Wyatt is 5. So that's a nice little fort. So be thinking about the forts you're going to build because we still have a couple weeks left and we'd love to see them. Uh, This is one of my favorite captions of any fort. This is Stephanie uh, and her friend Tara or Tara. She says, uh, Tara and I built a fort with her son Remy. She and I became friends after she and my ex-husband got their divorce. So... So they got that in common. So I thought that was cool. Definitely a God friendship, and we were so excited for this activity. Thank you for the opportunity. So I thought that was, I thought that was great. Welcome to Kesson. So uh, um, today is, is going to be different. Today we are going to build the much-anticipated breakup fort. So uh, if you're a brand-new guest today, welcome. So excited that you're here. Uh, today's conversation, so far, we've done it a few services, has gone really, really well. And uh, I think it's just because people are willing to engage in some um, awkward relational conversations. Here's the goal, if I was to put it on screen. The goal is breaking the relational patterns of toxicity that don't bring life or relational connection. That's what we're trying to, to break up with. We're trying to stop just having friends because they're, they're people in our life who... Who, who happen to be around, but actually really evaluate the, the role that those people play in our lives and the role, of course, that we play in that relationship as well. For this to have good context, what I want to do first is give you a biblical kind of baseline of how relationships uh, are seen through the eyes of God and how they're taught in the Bible. So that's what we're going to do to start, and then I'm going to give you some actual practical tools to evaluate some of the relationships you have that, that maybe need to be reoriented, or you may even need to, to walk through a breakup. Let's start off with our uh, seeing relationships through the eyes of God. Creator God made you and I not to be separated from him, ourselves, or each other. In other words, God made us to be 
connected. This is, this is inside of our DNA. There's, just, there's no one that you know. Even if you're like, I don't like people, it doesn't mean you're not supposed to be connected. You can just be connected with other people like you who are grouchy and don't like people. But you're supposed to be connected. That's an important part of what the Bible says. The laws and values given in his book that God has invite us to uphold and protect those connections. When we transgress God's design, we damage these vital connections and so live separated from one another. The Bible tells us that God is love in 1 John 4, 16. This is one of the most helpful ways to really understand the kind of connection that God has because it's not just any connection, it's the deepest, most life-giving form of connection. The name of this church is Kesed. It's a Hebrew word, and it's actually Chesed is how you say it, but they spell that C-H-E-S-E-D. And when we started the church, we tried that spelling, but everybody started calling it Cheesed Church. And so I was like, can't have it. So we spelled it a different way, K-E-S-S-I-D. And that word means the steadfast love of God. It reminds us that God will uphold his connection to his creation and his children. But it also is, is this idea that we bear a responsibility on our end to protect and strengthen that connection as well. Meaning you don't just get to be like, well, God is love and God is a chaser and God is a follower and God is always wanting to connect with me. But if he, if he really wants to connect, he'll try harder. We have a responsibility in that relationship. 1 John 4, 16 is the rest of that God is love verse on both sides. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. Meaning that when you receive the love of God and when you offer the love of God, you naturally begin to connect with other people who are doing the same. If you were to take that passage and just add connection or relational language, it might go something like this. And so we know and rely on the deep loving connection God has with us. God is completely connected. Whoever lives in this connection lives in God and God in them. This is how our connection is made complete among us. When Jesus asked what was the greatest commandment, someone asked him that. He replies with connection. Matthew 22, 37, 39, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You are to connect to him. But also, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we were to take this verse and rewrite it in connecting relational language, it might go something like this. You shall remain deeply connected to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall remain connected to and protect your connection with your neighbor as you do the same with yourself. This idea that we're supposed to be connected, I think, uh, is most easily seen in children. We talked uh, throughout this series about, about the way that children make friendships and, and the way that they talk about each other and the way that, that they engage so freely. It's like they're just living out this born connectedness, this desire to be connected to other people in their stories all the time. But along the way, as they develop, you and I figured out that not everybody can be connected with because not everybody's safe. Not everybody is honoring. Not everybody is somebody that brings life to me. And so we learn to protect those connections. And we do that through boundaries. 
This is just psychology kind of 101. Through boundaries, through, through clarifying where you start and where I begin. Part of being in a healthy, connected relationship with another person is understanding where each other's boundaries lie. And oftentimes, we don't actually just say it. We have to sort of kind of discover it. I like these two quotes about boundaries. The first one says, Boundaries need to exist in relationships for love to be true, genuine, and purely motivated. You need to be able to say this stuff. Where are you with this specific thing, and where aren't you? Another quote about boundaries says that boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. Some of you ought to write that down. By the way, all these notes are on the app if you want to get it afterwards or, or on the website. You, every single note I have, if you want these quotes or these verses, they're all on there. For most relationships, this sort of boundary discovery happens organically and can be clarified inside common, everyday, healthy conflicts. That's why conflict's so important because it helps us clarify boundaries. That's why Kessid, we talk about tension a lot. We talk about awkward a lot. We talk about creating spaces a lot for these sorts of relationships to be made. Because without those sort of things, then you could end up being in a relationship where there are no boundaries or at least none that are respected. Quick FYI, if you have a friend that you have never, ever had a conflict with, I'm willing to wager that someone in the relationship isn't operating at their full self. Either you've just kind of rolled over and said, well, that's just how they are. We've been friends forever, and they're just kind of a jerk. Or they have sort of just rolled over, and you're the jerk. That's basically the thinking right there. So. But everybody in relationship will eventually have some level of conflict. When there is no conflict, you're basically just pulling your punches and pretending. For Christians, we have actually taught this, and we teach it in the name of love and peace. We tell people, like, we should get along with our brothers. We should, we should, of course, seek peace with our neighbors and all of those important things. And we get it from this verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in Grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We are to grow up through truth and love to becoming like Jesus. But what's so profound about this is everybody preaches it as if it's love and love, but it's not. It's truth and love. And by the way, Jesus was in conflict all the time. Like the dude just rolled around picking fights, it felt like. And there were always fights for the, the marginalized or for those who were bullied or for the religious that were trying to impart their, their blind ideologies on other groups without understanding their perspective. Jesus was always walking up being like, nope, boundary. Nope, boundary. I mean, Jesus was crucified because he couldn't get, he wasn't Roman enough for the Romans and he wasn't Jewish enough for the Jews. He drew boundaries. And he's like, ah, uh, see, I'm God. I am, the, I am the relational equivalent of love in this world. I am love embodied. And people were like, no, 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 you, you can't behave that way. And Jesus was like, actually, you can't behave that way. It's like, good comeback, Jesus. It's like, come on. But he just sort of drew these boundaries that eventually people were like, we can't have him here. He's messing up how people see us, how they relate to us, how they are in relationship to us. Jesus was screwing up people's relationships the second he got here. And that's exactly what he wants to do today for you. <laughs> he is love. And the closer you get to him 
and don't just spew love and love, but spew truth and love, the further into conflict you'll be. And if that relationship is healthy, if that relationship is connected, the sooner you realize, oh man, I've been crossing boundaries. I'm so sorry. Or the person you're in relationship with will say, I've been crossing boundaries. I'm so sorry. Now, it's important to recognize that, that we are talking about a healthy, mutually connected relationship. We're talking about a relationship that ultimately really celebrates boundaries and respects boundaries. This is because every person in this room, I think, knows that every other person in this room is different than them. This is your own individualness. Every person in this room has not just general human boundaries that should be respected, but also unique individual boundaries that should be respected. There's a ton of general boundaries that I think all of us know. The right to privacy, the right to protect your space, the right to protect your body, and so on. These are general human boundaries that if you don't understand, uh, you, you'll end up in jail, right? That's just how that kind of works, right? Those aren't the only boundaries I'm talking about. They're, of course, important, and I don't want to undermine those things. But most of us kind of get that, and yet we continue to find ourselves in conflict that never resolves, and it's because we don't respect that sometimes something that's a boundary for you may not be a boundary for me, and yet that still means I should respect it. Let me give you an example in real time of my wife and I and some unique boundaries that I just had to lay down recently. <laughs> like four people in here got really offended. Other people were like, this is what I came for, right? This is... <laughs> when it comes to unique boundaries, recently I came home, uh, I went upstairs and uh, into our bedroom and uh, my wife had bought this new purple bath salt. She had just finished taking a bath and uh, whatever the smell was, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't having it and I couldn't figure it out, but I didn't say anything at all. I didn't say a word because I'm a respectful husband. I've been married 20 almost four years, and you know, she can pick whatever bath salt she wants, right? Because she is a strong, powerful, beautiful, bathing woman, right? That's important. <laughs> well, apparently she enjoyed this bath salt because I came home the next day, and right when I walked upstairs, I was like, that bath salt reeks. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I thought it with my face. And so I took some time and I was like, what is going on? Because again, unique boundaries are often tied to your story. And so I was like, what is, what is it? What is it? And so I sat and I suddenly realized that her bath salt smelled like my father's cologne. <laughs> so I'm just here to tell you, because I think it's important, that uh, there is nothing that will kill your God-given love life faster than crawling into bed with a wife who smells like your pops. <laughs> nothing. It's just, it's, it's just not good. It's not good. And so my wife, my wife, right, I hadn't told her, so she gets into bed, and, and she's getting a little close, and I was like, listen, listen, I got to draw, I got <laughs> to draw a boundary. I got to put a boundary right here. And I looked at her deep into her beautiful brown eyes, and I said, Old Spice isn't sexy. No, no time for us, right? I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. She's like, what are you talking about? And I said, whatever it is you're bathing in, it basically smells like my dad and I are just hanging out right now. And I, I, I'm just, my mind just can't engage 
with that smell. And she's like, what? She went and got the bag. We talked it out. And I was like, listen, I have great respect. I'm not saying Old Spice isn't your thing. If you love your woman to smell like Old Spice, my God, do it. Go for it. But mine smells like my dad. And so we had to have a discussion. And she had to understand that if I can't tell whether she's bathing or leathering a saddle in the bathroom, then you, you probably shouldn't, shouldn't wear that. <laughs> Oh, I love our church so much sometimes. <laughs> so we had to come to an agreement, and uh, the bag was, I, I hopefully, given away because she hasn't taken a bath in it ever since. This is a unique boundary tied to my story. It's, of course, it's not a sin issue. It's, not a, it's just a preference. But so much of our relational world happens kind of like that. Something happens that triggers something in our story, and then we don't know what to say, so we don't say anything, but the relationship kind of starts to fizzle off a little bit, and everybody's like, what's going on? And it's like, I don't know what's going on other than you, you smell like my dad. And, and like, you don't say it because we've never created space in the relational world to actually define the boundaries. By the way, because I'm a pastor and I know some of you are like, man, that's, that's harsh. I got a verse to back up my standing with my wife, Proverbs 27.9. It says, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Get rid of it. No old spice for us. So, <laughs> Oh, shoot. Okay. Now, over time, if you have a, a fairly healthy relationship over time, you will eventually figure each other out. Through struggle and support, you will grow until one day you can say with all certainty, this person is my friend and I am hers. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is referring to just that. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. These are the kinds of connected relationships God and the Bible are teaching us to have. That relationships that are encouraging, supportive, hope-bringing, and filled with all kinds of life-giving attributes. And you are built for it. Just because you haven't experienced it yet doesn't mean you don't deserve it and doesn't mean you can't have it. You are made for these kinds of relationships. But sometimes we find ourselves connected in unhealthy ways. Sometimes the relationships we have devolve into something not only lacking any life-giving attributes, but actually something damaging and even abusive. These are some quotes, some painful complaints that counselors have heard from hurting people as they describe their disconnected or unhealthy relationships. Today, all I'm asking you to do is see if they apply in any way to you. He doesn't listen to me. She is so perfect that she can't understand my struggles. He seems so distant that I feel alone. She always tries to control me. <laughs> wow, we're getting a lot more feedback in this service than the other ones. We're like, oh, <sighs> just relax. Like, like, I'm not even through them yet. Just hold on a second. Uh, somebody's getting dumped today, though. I can tell that in this service. That's happening, so... Um, <laughs> he makes promises but really doesn't follow through. He is condemning and judgmental. She is always angry at me for something I did or didn't do. I tend to be my worst self with him or her. I cannot trust him. 
If you're experiencing a majority of these in a friendship, then may I say this is when understanding your own boundaries becomes critical within the process of deciding whether this is a friendship that needs redefined, reoriented, or maybe should even end. Maybe should break up. The Bible uh, is where we go for this kind of stuff. And so I'm not often, I'm more, my style of preaching is much more storytelling. But I think with something like this, it's important that I'm able to give you actual practical tools or steps. So I wanted to go to the Word and see if there was anywhere, I think in the, the meeting we had for this talk, I was like, is there anywhere where Jesus dumped somebody? And we got a couple theologians around here, and uh, they both were immediately like, yep, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is a story where Jesus breaks up with somebody who wants to be in relationship with him, and he walks them through a process, the same one I'm going to give you today, that ends up in a space where uh, they are no longer in relationship. And so it doesn't mean that this is teaching you how to break up, but teaching you how to walk people through a process and get to a place where you can decide whether there should be a breakup. I hope you know, I hope you know that uh, I'm not just talking about romantic friendships. I'm talking about long-term friendships. I'm talking about all kinds of, of ways in which uh, we do community with one another. So uh, that's what these are. The first thing I wanna say about the rich young ruler is he's unique. He has a unique background, just like I said earlier. He has some unique boundaries or lack thereof. He is rich, he is very young, and he has authority. Those three things, even in today's world, would be kind of unique. But in the biblical world, they're pretty unheard of. It says, the, the story begins as the man comes to talk with Jesus. It's Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the whole thing starts off with a request. Okay, it starts off with a, with a simple, straightforward request. So let me say this. There's nothing inherently wrong with this man's request. Nothing. He's, he's able to, to push it forward. When it comes to all of our requests from God and from our friends, they are allowed to be big, small, practical, impractical, emotional, spiritual, and everything in between. They are unique to you. Okay, my wife, if she just had to have her Old Spice bath bomb, that'd be fine for her. But it, it, it wouldn't be well for us. And so we, make, we have to walk out. It's practical for us. It's unique to him. This man's request, nothing wrong with it. But the first thing that happens is just as I said, he approaches Jesus with a request. So this is important to recognize. But there is something interesting about this man's request. Now, we're reading the story in the book of Mark because the book of Mark has a certain part of this story that I'll point out in a minute that is very unique to just Mark that I want to highlight. But the book of Matthew also tells the story. And something interesting about Matthew is that within the book of Matthew, whenever anyone within the entire book of Matthew is calling Jesus teacher, it's when they are trying to use him or trap him. Every time. It's a, it's a heart comment. Only in the book of Matthew, when they call him Lord, is it in submission and recognition. This is Matthew's literary device to communicate with us what is in this man's heart, that he is just like the Pharisees. He is after a practical exchange. He's rich, he's young, he has authority, and he wants to leverage all that to make sure he gets eternal life. So he goes to Jesus, he bends the knee, and he says, oh, teacher, and he's just like everybody else in this broken economy. 
I want to say this about your request. We should all be thoughtful of the request we both offer and receive in friendship. You just don't push them out there. You think about them, and then you offer them. So with this request on the table, Jesus responds. Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. I want you to notice these commandments before I read them. Uh, If you know anything about the Ten Commandments, they're really two separate sets of commandments. There is the person-to-person commandments, which is what this man's about to speak. And then there are the person-to-God commandments. So there's five and five. This man lists all the person-to-person commandments. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, person-to-person. Do not commit adultery, person-to-person. Do not steal, person-to-person. Do not bear false witness, person-to-person. Do not defraud, honor your father and mother, person-to-person. Do these things. And the man responds to Jesus' response probably quite proudly, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And then in the book of Mark, it's the only one that says this, and Jesus looking at him loved him. There was a long enough pause when the man took credit for the way in which he lived his life that Jesus was like, ah, and now we're to the issue. See, you all have unique boundaries. I have unique boundaries, but sometimes those boundaries actually become the definition of our identity. They become what we are and what we aren't and what we're about. And all of a sudden, when God enters the picture, what we leverage to him is our healthy boundaries. Well, I've never done this. I've never experienced that. And I've never been here. And I've never done this. And I'm certainly not like that person. And I certainly would never do what they do. And all of a sudden, we become pharisaical or religious in our pious views of ourselves. And often that is what we offer to God, a nice little packaged up version of Danny with everything well lit, under lights, with a microphone that says, God, look what I do for you. And Jesus is not having that. Those are important things, but they're not holistic things. And so let me say that if you're in a relationship with a really healthy person, It's probably because someone showed you how. It's probably because someone like Jesus looked upon you and loved you when you offered your cheap excuses for why you should be in relationship in the first place. So as we're sitting here talking about this person that you have in mind that that maybe you need to break up with, be considering just thoughtfully of when you were maybe just like that person and who loved them and who loved you. So Jesus looks at him, he loves him, he heard the request, he offered the response, and now Jesus moves into a really special place and it's an offer for repair. Mark 10, 21, and Jesus said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This, uh, this passage could be one of the most misused passages in the Bible for getting people to give all their money to the church. Because this clearly is what Jesus has said this man is lacking. He has authority. He has youth. He clearly has uh, leadership skills. He is is a, a good person in the kingdom. He's doing well. He even honors his mommy and daddy, it says. That's what it says. I don't know if you noticed that. Jesus didn't rebuke him when he's like, I've done all this stuff. And honoring father and mother are in there. But what Jesus does is customize his response to this man. And he knows that this man has worshiped 
those things. And he knows that this man's heart posture is pharisaical. It is self-absorbed. It is transactional. And so he builds a custom response for him. This passage is not, I don't believe, okay, this is where you get to question me. You get to go be your own theologian. Because part of being in a community like this is you should question everybody on stage under lights with a microphone. Okay, just question it all. That, that's what you should do. But I don't believe this passage is teaching us, teaching me, to teach you that the ultimate end of all your goal, the ultimate goal of all the things you're working towards is to sell them all and go live under a tree somewhere and wait for God to reveal how it is you're going to be part of his kingdom. I don't see that. This is a custom verse for him. And actually, it should be more scary because what that means is that when you present your box to Jesus of goodness, he has a custom response for, oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you do that well. Have you ever considered this? <laughs> and it's something totally unique to you. See, in my own personal world, do you know why this verse hits me unique? Because in my own personal world, I'm actually opposite of the rich young ruler. I'm the, I was the uh, young authority pastor, young authoritative pastor. So I was actually good at all the church stuff. I was good at all the honoring God. I was good at honoring my heart, honoring my eyes, making sure I was focused on the right thing. I, I've done this now full-time for 23 years, full-time. And the first 10 years of it were a train wreck because I didn't have a community of people around me that were willing to call this kind of stuff out. So as long as I performed, nailed the sermon, nailed the numbers, nailed the growth, was able to climb the difficult ladder of church growth in the Northwest. Ah, it's so hard. And I'm like, but I'm doing it, God. Look at me. And then I would go home to a marriage that was less than splendid, to children who never saw me. Actually, my God to heart stuff was solid, but just about all the rest of my other stuff was broken. And Jesus gave me a very unique custom question that I don't need to share here today. But it was not sell all your stuff. It had more to do with what happens if you walk away and try to be a part of a church that's completely different than how church is usually done. And I was like, well, that seems lame. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it, but it's turned out to be really, really special. I don't know what your unique custom response is from Christ. I just know a lot of the verses in the Bible that we use as like carte blanche, just slice through a room and tell it as it is for everybody are actually showing more the heart of God and how specific he is to you, your story, your boundaries, the ones you should be holding that you haven't and the ones that you have been holding way too tight that he's asking you to put down. That'll preach right there. That's, that's, that's for real. That's not even in the notes. That's just you and the Holy Spirit and, and the person you brought that you thought you were going to break up with today. But now, now your heart is like, Ugh. that's all right. So Jesus offers the repair. He says you lack one thing. Repair, here's the quote. Repair is about protecting and healing the relationship, the connection, and holding it as sacred above the circumstances. It's Jesus saying, I don't want what you're offering. I want what's best and brings health to you. Jesus is saying, you are invited to follow me to this young man. But there are some steps you have to do in order for this to be healthy. He's saying still today, you are invited to follow him. But there are some steps you have to take in order to be healthy. And he's saying to this young man, the same thing he's still saying today, we are not negotiating terms. This is how repair works. It's God bringing forth. 
the options because there's just nothing really that you and I can do about these things other than confess them sometimes. And this is where the breakup happens, right here. Just like for some of you where you're like, this was fun and and funny and now I'm offended and I don't know if I like this anymore. That's okay. If you leave right now, it'd be really awkward because everybody would know that you just broke up. So now you're stuck in the room. (laughs) Somebody has to pee real bad and they're like, I cannot believe this. That's all right. This is where the breakup happens, Mark 10, 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He just turned around and walked away. The young man didn't allow the process to finish. He went through requests and respond, and when he got to repair, everything died right there. I believe there's one more step that he missed that this rich young ruler would have experienced if he had decided to take Jesus up on his offer, and it is quite simply resolve. Relational resolve means making a choice to move forward. It doesn't mean having all the answers. It doesn't mean suddenly being able to be like, oh, with great clarity of mind, I know how to set down all these things that I have built into my life as my security, and now uh, Jesus wants them, so I'm just going to be ready to go. No, it just means committing to Christ that you're aware of those things and walking in relationship with him. That would have been a process for that rich young man to sell that stuff. Then he would have had to ask, what do I do with all the money, God? Then he would have had to ask, then he would have had to ask, then he would have had to ask, but instead he doesn't even engage in the process. He just turns around and goes home. I don't know what the process looks like for you. But I know if you're willing, I know for me when I was willing, I didn't know what this church that God wanted to build would look like for me. I just knew what it wouldn't look like. And slowly over time, as I offered excuses, I was called out. I was convicted. I was able to set those things down. And suddenly I'm standing in a place I do not deserve in front of people that that are far better than I am at this sort of stuff. But I am gratefully, gratefully, in resolved relationship with God in this particular area in my life. When you have that resolve, when you have that willingness to move forward, it just becomes this beautiful, healthy, relational pattern that suddenly I think my wife would say, my children would say, uh, has caused more healthy relational patterns and more difficult conversations and more stuff that I have to give up. But this time I'm like, okay, I, I get it but it's custom to me just like it's custom to you. Here's what I know. A healthy relational pattern should be able to consistently flow between requesting, responding, repairing, and resolving. It should be able to flow back and forth inside those things. The question then becomes, how do your friendships measure up when put through this filter? Now, I want to be very careful right here, and I want to be very articulate when I say, Your friendships don't need to be filtered all the way to the end to resolve. They can be at any point inside this story. You may have friendships that right now are flowing in and out of requesting. And you're requesting and there's respect and I'm requesting and boundaries are getting defined. And you're like, okay, we're we're just in the season of requesting. We haven't even got to responding yet. We're We're just creating spaces to request. Or you could be inside repairing and you're talking about repairing. You've already done the requesting. You've already done the responding. Now you're inside the repairing. It doesn't matter where you are in the process. What matters is that you should be able to flow in and out of those discussions, identifying boundaries, talking about when they were crossed, 
talking about things you need to give up, talking about things the other person needs to give up. And all of this should be happening, not just with heart to man, but also heart to God. You think I'm fully resolved in all these areas of my life? You're crazy. Like God is constantly pointing out boundaries that I've offered to him that, that I thought were good. And he's like, Danny, that's, that's an excuse. And then there's other areas where I have no boundaries and God's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm flowing. And God's like, Danny, boundaries. This is relationship. This is what it's all about. Knowing him, him knowing me, knowing you, you knowing me. This is what we're supposed to do. But... If you find that a relationship is consistently stagnant in any of these areas, a conversation should be had about how to move forward. Does it need with great patience to be reoriented or does it need to end? Allow me to say with this part too, when I'm talking about end, it could be end forever, which is a really heartbreaking thing to walk through with another person, or it could be end for this week, or it could be end for a defined period of time. Okay, I don't know what end looks like for you, but I do know that we all are called to walk through this relational pattern. I also want to say, because I had a gentleman text me, and he's like, so uh, how's this sermon apply to my marriage, to my wife specifically? Like, like I, I don't know if I can just break up with her like this. And I was like, correct, sir. This is breakup Sunday, not divorce Sunday. So that's a different, that's a different weekend. So... <laughs> You know, but, but what I do know is if you end up divorcing the same man, you could build a tent with that ex. I do know that. So that's, that's a positive, right? So that, who thought? Who knew? But my point is that the, you, you've got to filter this stuff. Don't just take this stuff home and use it as a bat on somebody. You've got to be aware of where you're at and who you're in relationship with. Let me also say some of you, the reason you don't have friendships that, you, that are life-giving is because you have so many friendships that aren't life-giving that when people see you across the room, if you will, in the community, they can tell that you aren't someone that, that demands healthy relationships, and so they're not willing to climb into that with you. Some of you, you're going to have to leave a relationship and feel pretty alone for a while. Uh, I know there are there are kind of small groups happening at Kesed right now. I know I think a bunch of them just launched. I asked uh, just before we did this weekend if there were still openings. There still are. If you're looking for kind of like a group of people that are committed to this sort of process, um, you, can, you can check those groups out on the app or at the Welcome Center. But there, some of you, you're going to have to leave the circle you've relied on so long. And, and my hope is that you're willing to step into a different one. But most importantly, maybe second most importantly, what if, uh, what if you're the person that needs broken up with? What if, like, you thought you brought a friend, but the more that this talk has gone on, you're like, oh, I am the friend. What if you're the one that's always crossing boundaries? What if you're the one that's controlling? What if you're the one, and most likely, by the way, I have great compassion on you, so I hope you see that in my eyes. Most likely it's because somewhere back in your story you learned that you had to be this certain way in this certain environment to protect yourself. And I'm just here to tell you that, uh, that, that there, is no, there is no protection uh, for what happens when we stand before God and are honest about the things in our life that are dysfunctional and hurting ourselves and other people. There is only vulnerability. 
And you are going to have to be willing to stand in the mirror today and ask yourself, what part of the dysfunctional relationship do you play, do you hold, and what are you supposed to do about it? Yeah, somebody else is like, I knew it. I'm breaking up with you first, right? That's like, let's get to the car as fast as we can. This, this is now the most important question, though. Here's my question, my closing question. How is your friendship with Jesus going? Where in your process with Jesus are you at? Are you requesting? Are you responding? Are you repairing? Are you resolving? Are you flowing back and forth with him? Because this process is ultimately what it means to be in relationship with him. And so the question I want to ask you is where are you at in the process or where have you frozen the process? Because you just can't get over this or this or this. And so yes, you requested Jesus, but when Jesus responded, you didn't like that, you weren't having that. Or maybe you were able to push through the response and now you're at the repair part, but you're like, "Mm -mm, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope. Maybe you're really good at people to people and you got friends everywhere. How's your heart to God? And maybe you're, you're rich and you're young and you have authority and maybe like from the outside, you're like, you're locked in. And that's what you've been offering Christ this whole time and that's why the relationship with him is just kind of blah. Because he's like, but what I want is, is, I want that. It's custom just for you, by the way, whatever that is. I want that, I want that, I want that. And you're like, ugh. I, I, I don't want to flow into resolve. I don't want to flow into respond. I, I, want to, I want to keep control. These are boundaries that have benefited me back when. And Jesus is like, yes, but, but we're going to go somewhere. We're going to build a different kind of thing. And you can say, just like I did, and you should. Well, that sounds lame. And then let God build your unbelievable life in a beautiful church because then, I, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, I think the reason that something's happening at Kesed is because once people get to know me and the other leaders, they're like, couldn't have been them. I really believe it. I think God gets so much credit here and so much glory here and so much honor here because once people get to know us, they're like, well, this doesn't add up. How amazing would it be if you were to receive those custom convictions of the Spirit and build a life that once people got to know you, you were just like, Jesus? <laughs> like you just, you were opposite of the rich young ruler. You're like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, just, I just go where he wants me to go and I listen to my spirit and I, and I listen to him and I, I I'm, he's my friend. How beautiful would that be? Or maybe some of you have broken up with him without even realizing it. You're not even in process. You're just kind of showing up today to check a box because one of your boundaries was to make sure that you spend the Sabbath in a church service. And Jesus is like, hmm, church is sort of seven days a week and wherever he is, which by the way, he's everywhere, except for in the bath <laughs> of Old Spice. I don't, I don't think he's there. I think, I think it's just a lonely, spiritless place that my wife lives sometimes. <laughs> Let's bring it back to the cross, people. Let's be serious now. <laughs> what if, what if there's relationship offered, custom for you right now? What if, what if? How beautiful would that be? So 
I'm going to close this service with simply that. A prayer that offers relationship. I'm going to have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. I don't know your story. I don't know your journey. I don't know where you came from. None of this is magic, but I believe in a God who is alive and who has seen all of you all the time. And if you are tired of running, if you are tired of excusing, even if you've got some really solid excuses because of some boundaries that were crossed in your past, God wants to build a custom word for you right now, one filled with love and value and permanence and purpose and forgiveness and hope and truth. He wants you to unfreeze from this space that you're in and flow with him into this life that he wants to build that you cannot see. And so if you want to engage with that God, just in your own heart, you can say something simple like this. Just say, God, it's me. I'm, I'm done. I've built boundaries that I shouldn't have or I haven't put boundaries in places that I should. God, I don't wanna, I don't wanna break up. I wanna be in community with you. Please come into my life and fill it with your presence and your purpose. With everyone's heads down and their eyes closed, there's others of you and you know you have to have some really courageous talks this week. And so with great compassion, may I just pray over you, Lord, may there be gentleness of words and softness of eyes. May there be a, a desire for wholeness above all else, above vengeance or justice or anything else. May you give us the ability to stand where you've put us, to raise our heads, to bring you glory and to be a part of relationships that, that bring life and healing. We thank you, Father. We lift it all above and to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, I hope you have a great breakup with whoever it is. <laughs>